this week's show, it'll be Adam and me and special guest Seth Kaberski, who just released The Unofficial Guide to Universal Orlando, a must-have book if you plan to visit the Universal Orlando Park. As you will hear in this conversation, Seth has a vast knowledge of the theme park world. Along the way, we'll also discuss how you can save on the already inexpensive Touring Plans app. Enjoy. This is show 337 for the week of August 17th, 2015. You're listening to Universal's Door. Find us at universalsdoor.com. Listen every week for a new show and rate us on iTunes. Follow us at youtube.com slash theseamazingplaces, facebook.com slash theseamazingplaces, twitter.com slash amazingplaces, or contact us at podcast at theseamazingplaces.com. If you've listened to many of our shows at all, you know we've been covering theme parks since the start of the podcast. At first, we started with Disney theme parks, but around 2010, once the Wizarding World was built, we began talking about Universal. And today, it's clear that Universal is competing with Disney more each year, as we've been excited to include Universal parks in our shows. This week, we add another notch in that, and we're super excited about it, as we bring a special guest on the show to talk about Universal Orlando. He has a history of Universal experience. In fact, he's a former Universal employee and has contributed and continues to contribute to online travel blogs like Touring Plans and several other publications, but we'll let him talk about that here in just a second. Uh, And he has just released a new book titled The Unofficial Guide to Universal Orlando. And so we welcome to the show, Seth Gabersky. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm really glad to be here. Uh, I enjoy your podcast, and I'm, I'm very honored to be brought on. Uh, you guys are actually the first uh, big podcast interview that I have done since the release of the book, so uh, I'm really excited. Thank you. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, it's it's great to have you on the show, and um, uh, I mean, you know this, and maybe some of our listeners know, but you know, Disney and Universal, it's kind of uh, it's, it's sort of like Coke and Pepsi, but you get to enjoy the bo- the best of the both of them. So it's uh, it's fun. So uh, anyway, um, so let's start off from the top here. Just kind of give a background to everybody, uh, all our listeners out there. Tell them, you know, maybe they've never heard of you. Maybe this is the first time hearing about the unofficial guides. You know, just kind of give them a basic background where you come from, what, why the book, and, and go from there. Sure. Well, uh, I moved to Orlando in 1996 and went to work for Universal. Uh, I had a degree in theater and I was a stage technician on the Ghostbusters show uh, for a short while before it closed and moved on to Terminator and Barney. And I also worked on special events like uh, Mardi Gras and stage manager for Halloween. Uh, And and I was with Universal till about 2000 uh, when I parted ways and uh, went to work uh, in IT and journalism. And uh, I, I went uh, started a column for the Orlando Weekly, which is a, a local weekly newspaper here. And I cover arts, uh, theater, and theme park for them. And I hooked up with Bob Selinger and Len Teslet of the Unofficial Guide uh, around the time that The Wizarding World came out, uh, the original one, 
2010. That's when I first met them uh-huh. and started working on uh, their book series. I've been working on Disneyland book, the co-author of that uh, now since the 2012 edition and the 2016 editions coming out any day now. Uh, and I've also helped out with the Las Vegas and Walt Disney World books. And I'm really excited that, uh, you know, Universal has finally reached a, a point in in attendance and in mind share among uh, theme park fans uh, that it's, um, you know, uh, time for us to bring out a, our first book dedicated just to Universal Orlando. Uh, first time we've done an unofficial guide just for Universal. And uh, I'm really excited to have my name on it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, you know, we have a copy here and uh, just. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's actually it's, extremely comprehensive, uh, Seth. I I pride myself really on on digging through just about everything that uh, that Universal has to offer. And every time that I would think, oh, let me see if he's got this in there, it was there. And so, excellent. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> well, thank you. That means a lot. Um, <laughs> it, it's funny because I, you know, I, I worked on this for months and months and did it, you know, a, a chapter or, or a section at a time. And it wasn't until it came back uh, from being laid out for the designer and about to go to the printer that I realized, wow, this is 380 something pages. I didn't realize I, I figured, you know, we, we'd come out to high two hundreds maybe. Um, but I, I had no idea. And, and, you know, um, I'm, I'm so happy that you, uh, you say that you find, you know, the, the stuff that you're looking for in there. Um, you know, as an author, uh, I, I'm always thinking about, uh, Oh, there's one more thing that I could have squeezed in there, but uh, that's that's what the next edition's for. Yeah, I guess. that's what I was gonna say. Because is this, I guess, the future? And I don't know if my question's about this later, but is the future plan to release this yearly? Absolutely. Okay. Um, you know the the unofficial guides are all updated every year. Uh, th- this okay. one, because it's the first edition, we don't have a sure. year on the cover. Um, and you know, whether the next one will come out in, in 12 months or 18 months, uh, I'm not sure exactly what our cycle will be, but we're going to keep this updated, uh, on a regular basis. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Yeah. Honestly, you probably could with as much as these parks are changing. Uh, (laughs) yeah, you could add, yeah, at this point really, yeah, every year, I mean, they have something major opening. Well, you know, I, I tell you, um, the difference between working on guidebooks for Disney versus for Universal. With Disney, you pretty much have a good idea of what's going on because they'll have a press release and a video and a model uh, three years before it's finished. Um, whereas in Universal, they're usually halfway finished building something before they even acknowledge that it exists. Yes. Uh, and and I'll say that there were there were announcements about. Um, uh, Nintendo, for instance, that, you know, happened, you know, within days of us going to the printer. And uh, there were a lot of long nights scrambling to try to get up to the very last second uh, information. Um, you know, even just just uh, this week, uh, the Lucy attraction closed uh, at Universal. And uh, we, we managed to men- get a mention in there saying, you know, the attraction may be closed by the yeah. time you read this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, sure it is. <laughs> Yeah, kind of a gamble on on the call on that one, but yeah, you're right. And there was I did remember there is a section in there about it says Nintendo in it, yeah. so I'm like, hey, wow, this is actually. Of course, you read this six months later, and who knows what Nintendo is going to say, you know? By sure, then. and you know but that still the 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 great thing about writing a book is that you get to document a moment in time, 
Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I collect uh, park maps and other ephemera for the parks. And I also have a bookshelf full of old guidebooks. And it's sometimes really cool to go back and look and see what, what a, people thought of a park 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, I, I know there are people who, who collect the unofficial guides every year uh, just for that reason. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's both frustrating and exciting as an author, uh, to know that no matter how hard I work to keep up with what universal is doing, uh, they, they've got something else that's going to come around the sure. corner before I know it. Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. Um, so let's, I kind of want to backtrack in case anyone is unfamiliar with the unofficial guide series. The only reason I know about it is because we enjoy going to Barnes and Noble and just paging through the travel section and basically i'm like oh unofficial guide what's that and then basically that's where i came across the unofficial guides and learned about them um Mm -hmm. why don't you just tell the uh tell the listeners out there just i don't know how much you whatever you want to say about it just to kind of give them update on why would why would somebody want to own one of these sure well real briefly the unofficial guide uh, it was started by uh bob sounder uh, way back in the 80s, um, which is probably before some of your listeners were alive. And at, at back in the day, you know, there were no websites. Uh, there, there were no independent people writing about theme parks. You had the party line coming directly from Disney um, and maybe a few small scattered fan groups, but that was it. So Bob and the unofficial guide were the very first per people to ever go to a theme park and attack it in a systematic way um, and evaluate it like you would any other travel destination and come up with what we call touring plans, Mm -hmm. which are step-by-step guides to getting through the parks, seeing everything that you want to see and waiting the shortest amount of time in line. Um, And there there are over 4 million uh, different copies of the unofficial guide now uh, in print. It's been amazingly successful. And I I was really honored when I was able to join the team with Bob and and Len Testa, who develops our touring plans. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, yes, you know, if you don't want to spend the $17.99, which is the cover price, or you can get cheaper than that on Amazon, and we'll give you a link later. you know, yeah, absolutely. You can find websites out there that have uh, a lot of the information that's in a book, but what you don't have is the curation and the expert advice taking all of this often contradictory advice that's out there floating in the internet um, and weeding through it all and saying, you know what, we go there in person. We're in the parks four or five days every week. We've tested all this stuff. We've been on every attraction. We've eaten at every restaurant. And, you know, here's the stuff that's frankly not worth your time. Uh, we're not there to sell you on the park. We're not there to make Universal or any theme park look good or, or look bad. Um, we're the advocates for the people buying the tickets. And, uh, you, you know, uh, Europeans get a lot of vacation time. Uh, Americans, if you get two weeks a year, you're really lucky. A lot of people, they're lucky to get one week a year. Um, so if you're going to spend all that money and time, uh, that you don't have much of to go to a theme park, then, you know, personally, I think it's worth having that expert advice in your hand, uh, that can help you get the best out of the money that you're spending. Yes. And that's absolutely, that's that's my pitch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not a pitch because I I can mm -hmm. tell you. 
I mean, we've, we've done several shows. I mean, we're what, 300 and some shows with Disney and Universal all in all. And, uh, uh, of course, our stuff is spread out a lot of times over shows. But mm-hmm. and you, but actually, just, you take this book, yeah. and it condenses all of that stuff that we've talked about and much more, and it puts it right in here in a nice orderly format for everybody. So Yeah, and we've, we've been saying that for a long time. It's like, you know, you can go. And, and for us, in reality, it's like, okay. We know that you can go, and if you go and you live far away, it's stressful to get there and deal with everything. And so our goal to our listeners is to provide a place where you can go and have as much fun and as less stress as possible because it it is pretty stressful. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but a part of that, touring plans is a very big part of, you know, that we think, and we've tried it, we've tested it too, that it's like, you know, this actually does work. It's not just somebody sitting in some shack somewhere somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> it up, you know, and and you know we've listened to you guys talk and blog about it, and it, it it's great to hear. Oh yeah, hey, I tested this yesterday or whatever, you know, and uh, so it's it's awesome stuff. So anyway, great. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, it 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 really it really does work. I know there are people uh, who will say, "Hey, I'm on vacation. I don't want to have to read a book about yeah. my vacation." Yeah. Um, but you know, a, a few hours of of preparation before you go in it's these theme parks are are so big and so intricate and the way that they move people around is so complex that if you go in blind uh you can really come out uh you know spending a lot of money for very little enjoyment um and you can you know you, you can maximize your investment uh with a little bit of of preparation on the front end most definitely. That's Most definitely. That's our, <laughs> yep, that's we've our been, motto. We've been basically saying that for a long time. So. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll, Amen. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give, yes, that's exactly right. Um, I'll give you one section, I mean, that I hit in the book that I thought for sure, and anybody who's listened to our shows knows, I always bring up annual pass stuff, whether it be Disney or Universal. And I always mm-hmm. look for how can I get an annual pass and how can I use it to save, save money or how can I use it to recoup the cost even of the annual pass. And I thought for mm-hmm. sure you would not have that in the book and you did. It was just another oh. one of those things that I thought, this is amazing. I, yeah, you guys. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite. That, Seth. Nobody talks about that. Well, you know, I, I'm glad you point that out because one of my favorite sections, you know, it's it's kind of tedious, uh, you know, working on the, the, the Disneyland book and every year having to update prices because, you know, it's inevitable every year prices are going to go up. But uh, working on the Universal book, it was really kind of fun doing the math and figuring out, you know what, if, if you're paying for parking anyway, uh, and you're going to stay on site maybe in a hotel for a night or two, uh, you, you can not just break even, but you can save significant money by buying an annual pass from Universal. And Walt Disney World, um, you know, the, I have an annual pass to Walt Disney World uh, as a Florida resident. Uh, it's expensive. Uh, you know, you're, you're paying over a dollar a day for the privilege of going to see Mickey. Um, at Universal, not only is the entry price for the annual pass a lot lower, but the benefits that they give you are really astounding compared to Disney. Uh, Disney, you know, the, I can count on one hand the restaurants where you'll still get a, uh, a discount with just an annual pass. Um, whereas Universal, you can almost pay off your annual pass at universal in in food costs in food savings um and you add, you add in the the hotel rooms and the parking uh and yeah it's uh 
depending on how many days you can you can earn back the the price of that annual pass in three or four days it's yeah. kind of crazy yeah yep definitely I, I i that's one thing you know i, I know out at um, Hollywood right now, it's very controversial how Universal is changing and cutting back their annual pass program in preparation for Harry Potter. I'm glad that hasn't happened yet uh, at uh, Orlando, and we'll have to see once Volcano Bay opens and more yeah. attractions open if if they start looking at that annual pass and deciding that's just a little bit too good a deal because right now it's, it's a steal. Yeah. I, yes. And I, I honestly, yeah, if it went up a hundred dollars. Or yeah, even probably a little more after uh, they get the other things open. I couldn't complain. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really because you know the people will will instantly say, well, Disney has four theme parks, Universal has two, but I I would contend that there are currently the same number or maybe even more attractions that I want to do on a regular basis in the two Universal parks than in the four Disney parks put together right now. So on a Mm-hmm. On a dollar per ride basis, um, I, I think the universal annual pass is is ridiculously cheap. Yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so it kind of goes into some of my my questions here that I wanted to bring up. And I don't want to I don't want to say this. It's kind of like when I mentioned the Coke Pepsi thing at the beginning. It's mm-hmm. like we have two products here. They are mm-hmm. I think they're great products, but it's not like it's number one versus number two or number two doesn't do as good because they're always <clears throat> number two. I think, you know, there's it's pretty obvious the two companies are different. Disney's huge. Universal is supported by other companies that aren't as big. But at the same time, I think the competition is very healthy. Of course, it's American capitalism, but <laughs> the uh, the competition is very healthy for us because we get to, you know, reap the benefits so you know i i I will say that i i personally do not subscribe to the am i a disney fan or am i universal fan i'm a fan of theme parks i'm a fan of good entertainment i'm I'm a fan of good products whoever puts them out if you are a disney fan then the thing you should wish for more than anything is for universal to be successful because a strong competition is the only thing that will keep the Disney Corporation from being complacent, uh, especially in Florida, which, you know, Florida is kind of subsidizes a lot of what they do around the rest of the year, uh, rest of the world. Um, so, you know, if, if you want Walt Disney world to be the best Walt Disney world that it can be, then you should be praying for Comcast to keep pouring money into universal because it's, it's a virtuous cycle. Um, you know, one side has to top the other and the people who are going to the parks are the winners. Um, yeah. Now, what I will say is that I personally, having grown up as a Walt Disney World fan, having moved originally to Orlando, hoping to work for Walt Disney World and never intending to end up working at Universal. Today, this day, I like the product that Universal is putting out in Orlando better than what Disney is simply because it is fresher and, and it is constantly, you know, it's giving me new toys to play with. Um, I (laughs) love the toy box at magic kingdom, but I've been playing with those toys. I've been playing with the haunted mansion play set (laughs) since I was, you know, six years old. Um, and as much as I love it and I will always go back and I will cherish those toys. Um, it's also great to have something new and shiny every, you know, six months or a year uh, to be able to play with. Um, 
at at the same time, um, a structural thing, which I think that appeals to me more universal, which is the same reason why I love Disneyland in California, uh, is the intimacy of it. Um, the fact that I can park my car and leave it behind and walk if I'm there for a weekend or a week and I, I never have to drive. Um, and that I can be in one park and 15 minutes later I can be in another park or I can be out side having a drink uh in in city walk or downtown disney at disneyland um they, those two resorts have a very very similar feel and uh you know if if i was uh if i was a smarter urban planner like uh sam genoway i could explain about how the the intimacy of the urban design uh you know creates a feeling of community and well wellness as opposed to Walt Disney World, which is suburban sprawl and constantly riding a bus from one place to another. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I just, when I, when I'm at Disneyland or when I'm at spending a, a weekend at Universal, I relax in a way that I'm not able to in the Walt Disney World of today. Sure. Um, it doesn't mean that one's better than another, but they become a different kind of experience. Sure. And I just, I lean towards one. And I'll be honest with you, I've been using Universal on my last two trips to Florida as the resting period in the middle of my vacation. So yeah. I will arrive, spend the first <clears throat> couple of days in Disney, and then jump over to Universal property and actually get some rest and then be rested up. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's it's funny. Um, one thing that I do uh, as a sideline is uh, I offer um, VIP park planning services. You know, it's I, I help people you know, you bought my book, fine. Maybe you got a subscription to touring plans, but it's still a lot of stuff to wade through. So I, I will, you know, personally sit down with you or over the Skype and, and, you know, go through what your vacation, your goals are and help you plan out your whole trip. Uh, and I, down to helping you book your fast passes. Um, and you know, I have family that I'm helping out for a trip in October and for, for a trip that's not till, you know, the middle of the Halloween season, I'm up at two thirty, three in the morning, trying to book fast passes. You know, on the night that yeah. they're available, desperately doing anything I can to f try to get an Anna and Elsa fast pass. Yes. You, know, <laughs> you know, until three in the morning. Yep, yep. Whereas at Universal, stay on site, show yep. your card, walk in the express lane. You know, it, it's a it's a totally different mentality. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know. Disney's not hurting for money. Uh, their numbers are doing just fine. Uh, if, if you look at the statistics, my Magic Plus and the Magic Bands are doing exactly what they want to. Maybe not as quickly as they want it to, but but they're getting there. Um, but it's you know it's not the kind of vacation that I necessarily uh, grew up on. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, it's, it's interesting. I think about it. And the only reason that, uh, we choose Disney and my family is because I've got a five-year-old, a two-year-old and a six-month-old. So of course, and, that, and you've hit that it fits. right there. That's universal's number one weakness yeah. is, yeah. you know, it's half perception and half absolute reality that there isn't enough, uh, or as much for the preschool set to do there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Universal has always been focused on the older kids, the tweens, the teens, the young adults. Yep. And, you know, they have great properties. You know, they've got Dora and SpongeBob and they've got the Minions and they've got Dr. Seuss, uh, which all have, you know, have 
good appeal among that age group. It's again, not Anna and Elsa and, and nothing ever will be. Sure. Um, but you know, if I had a wish for universal, um, it's that they would back off a little bit on the intensity while I love the intensity of their attractions, both physically and, and psychologically, um, you know, they, they need to build their, it's a small world, right? You know, they, they have to have, um, you know, that, that kind of slow moving, gentle, uh, you know, uh, uh, art direction based experience that the whole family can experience together. Sure. Um, and, and that's, you know, we've got ET, even that's got a height restriction, you know, right. uh, you right. know, even cat in the hat has a height restriction. Yep. Um, you know, they, they need, they need the Omnimover or the, the boat ride or two or three of them that everyone, you know, grandma and the grandkids can all get on together. Right. Um, uh, however, I, I will say that once the kids are, old enough to start going on some of the rides. I think that a family today, you know, with, with grade school kids or middle school kids who are going to both universal and Disney, I think those kids are probably coming home with, with stronger memories of the attractions at universal. And 20 years from now, when they're, you know, taking their own families, you know, it, are they going to have the same nostalgic connection to Disney that we do mm-hmm. our kids today? You know, once you put aside the, the frozen frenzy, our kids today, you know, I, I remember going in the, in the early eighties and just being mem- mesmerized by Epcot and not just the attractions of Epcot, but the, the idea of Epcot, the spirit of Epcot. Sure. And, and that's something that, you know, has brought me back to that park for, you know, 20 something years, even though the park is not the park that, that sparked those feelings in the first place. Sure. So the question is, are, are the Disney parks of today still creating that kind of inspiration that lasts with people for generations, um, to the same degree and is universal, especially with Harry Potter starting to take up some of that slack. Yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting conversation to think through. And it, it's funny you say that, and immediately I'm thinking, you know, my kids like Mario and the Nintendo things mm-hmm. coming down. So who knows? Maybe maybe they start to hit that a little bit with uh, with the Nintendo uh, IP that they got and, you know, whatever else that, I don't know, maybe third, maybe a third gate brings that. Who knows? You know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But Well, you know, I, I, think, I think the third gate is volcano bay for the foreseeable future um you know i i I would love to see universal say hey just in time for the 50th anniversary of the magic kingdom we're opening our own third theme park so there right um yeah the reality is that opening another theme park is a lot more than just opening a dozen new rides right it's all the infrastructure that goes behind it exactly and I, you know, personally, I, I think a smarter bet is for them to completely make, make over and build out the parks that they have. Mm-hmm. There's still expansion pads, you know, that that uh, have room, a little bit of room to grow, not a lot of room to grow, but there's still there's still a little bit of room to grow. And there's also aging attractions in both parks. Um, you know, Disney has kind of become a museum of its own past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that is because Disney fans expect the ride that they went on, you know, 20 years ago to still be there 20 years from now. Universal is just merciless 
you know, you go to Universal Studios <laughs> yeah. Florida today, like, and if the last time you were there was 1999, say, you wouldn't even know you were in the same park. Right. There isn't a single headliner that you would recognize. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that uh, Universal is going to focus on building out their hotel capacity because uh, as Steve Burke has said, they, they could probably build twice as many hotels on property as they have now. Sure. Um, and and to really fill in every single corner of those parks before you see a third gate. Uh, I know that there was a, uh, a much-talked-about blog article going around saying that the third gate is happening, they bought the land, it's going to be Nintendo. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll wait and see. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I do think that they're trying to acquire land. Um, but I really do think that their priority is hotels because that's where the money is. You know, yeah, oh, you, yeah. if you, op- you open a third theme park, there's only so much that you can increase your, the price of your power copper option. Mm-hmm. Um, people only have so many days. Uh, I don't know that you get, you know, 33% more revenue by having an, a third theme park. Um, so I'd look for them to expand other ways before that happens. Yeah. Well, I think the idea, they want you to stay in the bubble in their bubble. And Mm -hmm. of course, once you do that, you can, you're buying, uh, well, let's face it. If you have nothing to do and the parks are closed, you're going to city walk. If you live on the property or you're staying on property, things like Mm -hmm. that, that I think is, is a big part of needing you know, that, that hotel, not only making money for the hotel reasons, but sure. You know, just and that's why, that's why you've seen city walk go through such a dramatic yeah. makeover, you know, yeah. the food, um, you know, that, and, and the, the places you're going to see going in like the NBC sports brew, uh, that's coming in are going to be places that, you know, when you're done with the park and you want to sit there for, you know, a couple hours and watch a game and have some wings and, and drink some beer that they, they want to hold people, on the property for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's 100%. You know, the, the theme parks in this business, the theme park ticket is almost a loss leader. Uh, you yeah. know, you, you are making all of your money on, on what people are spending mm-hmm. on concessions inside the park. And they've got that nailed with Harry Potter. Yeah. You know, their, their yeah. per capita spending, uh, for guests is through the roof. Uh, and now they're doing what Disney is, you know, Disney played the same game back in the nineties. You know, they, they went one by one through the things in central Florida that were their competitors and knocked them off to keep people on property. You know, they looked at SeaWorld and they built the living seas. You know, they looked at, at Bush gardens and they built animal kingdom. They looked at church street station and they built uh, pleasure Island uh-huh. and universe. And then, and then Disney kind of said, all right, well, we've gotten, big enough we've you know we've reached kind of market saturation and now we'll just sort of maintain and universal is coming in behind and taking disney's script from from 15 20 years ago and uh and going through it step by step yeah it's interesting i was thinking of um i don't know five years ago or so i saw a travel channel uh just they were talking about cruise lines and how Basically, the cost to get on a cruise line is basically them breaking even. And the only way they make money is for you to buy food and to, you know, do the excursions and things. It seems like that the theme park ticket is now the break even and everything above and beyond is now the additional revenue that these that theme parks are getting. You know, it's sort of like the same kind of a 
business format there to make money. But yeah, you know, and I I don't necessarily know that that's that's a new thing. I mean, back in in Walt's day, the you know the price of admission to get into the park was was really designed to be very reasonable. Sure. Um, and you know, he had all these partnerships with with vendors. You know, he had both Coke and Pepsi in the park, right. uh, so he wasn't he wasn't opposed to you know brands or, or making money. Um, but uh, you know that it, it is. In the early days, Disney was content to, uh, you know, be a couple days out of someone's Florida vacation. And they accepted that people would also go to the beach or go to Kennedy Space Center, or, you know, go to Gatorland, you know, Cypress Gardens when it was there. Um, and, you know, as as the uh, America's disposable dollar to spend on vacation has shrunk, Disney has done their best to take more and more of the percentage of it if they're coming to Orlando and make sure that they spend it all there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's, and that's, that's capitalism. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Disney has done it uh, at least over the last, you know, five years, at least they've done it by implementing policies that seem like they're making things more convenient for you. But what it really is doing is making it more inconvenient to go off property, things right. like the Magical Express, right, um, which is in no way free. It is baked into the price yep. that you are paying for your hotel room. Uh, it is just a hidden cost, um, but because it is so easy, you get more and more people without a car and who are dependent on Disney transportation. Yep. Yep. Um, so uh, you know, U- Universal is yes, they're, they're they play the exact same game as Disney, and um, they want you to spend as much money as possible. But they seem to be doing it not through creating complicated schemes uh, and and you know ways to get you to commit early and, and trap you in, but rather by building things that people want to see and creating experiences that people want to do. Um, now Disney still does that. Uh, I, I I don't want to sound so negative. I don't I don't right. want to sound like I'm I'm bashing Disney, and I know that's that's the way it might come across disney's got a lot of great stuff you know d23 is going right now uh i think some of the pandora stuff looks fantastic i think uh shanghai looks really great and as soon as i get a gas mask and a respirator i'm gonna go there and see it Uh, (laughs) yeah really you know um i i love uh disneyland and the new stuff that they've done for the 50th anniversary sure um uh but you know I'm, i'm just looking at the business of of how Disney is spending their money in Florida versus how Universal is spending their money in Florida. Yeah. Um, and uh, all I got to say is I'm looking forward to King Kong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm looking too here, uh, Seth, through the book. And technically, it looks like that uh, Universal will have, after Sapphire Falls is built, about 5,400 to 5,500 rooms. Yeah. 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 Just a little over. 5,000. Yep, yeah. That's that's exactly right. And I think Steve Burke said in a conference call that they could go up to 10,000. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're, you know, I think that's uh, the wet and wild property. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the first thing that you're going to see go into that property once wet and wild is uh, removed mm-hmm. is going to be some uh, hotel towers. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a good choice for that. Yeah. 
Um, I kind of have notes, and we're kind of going all over the place here. But I, I know. I sort of sorry. I'm no, you're not. I'm derailing is, you with my monologue. No, I try to keep my que- my answers to your questions a little briefer. Well, it's, it's <laughs> no, it's great. It's, it's great. great. Huh. It's information. You know, it's information we are definitely interested in. I know. Uh, you know, our shows kind of vary depending on what show we're talking. But uh, one thing I want to focus on is currently um, what do you think? And I'm going to bring up one item before I give you a chance. Uh, what do you think Universal is doing well today? We already talked about the close proximity and in that aspect. I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like Universal is doing a good job with food theming in the sense that you now can go to you know um, the Wizarding World and purchase food and drink it and eat it that it was in the movies and it's immersive and it, it just adds a feel. Simpsons, same thing. Um, you know, I just love that, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, Disney hasn't even caught on to that, and so I'm waiting. But I don't know. Who knows? But, uh, uh, you know, anyway, feel free. You know, what's all Universal I, doing well? All I well? have to say is that I have consumed so many calories in <laughs> both Butterbeer yeah. and uh, Wizard's Brew. Uh-huh. Yep. It, it's not even funny. Yeah. Um, it, and, and I'm the kind of person that, you know, I'll, I'll stop by a fast food restaurant, drive through on the way into a park to avoid spending money right. once I'm inside a park. Right. You know, but I, I have to, I have to get the butter beer because yeah. I know that I, there's nowhere else that I can get that. Yeah. And it's, you know, they, they were, they were very clever in that they found an IP that is almost unique in the way. You, I mean, you go through the Harry Potter books, and there are these wonderful descriptions of this food. Yes. Yes. And you, you watch the movies, and you see people consuming this movie. How many other, you know, uh, Marvel, what are you going to do? Have a shawarma restaurant? Yeah, seriously. Because Thor sat around eating shawarma. You know, Star Wars, you know, there is uh, Blue Milk, and uh, there's that um, power bar that Luke chewed on in Dagobah. Right. <laughs> uh, are you going to make Yoda's snake stew? Uh, they got so lucky in finding an IP <laughs> seriously, seriously. that had that baked into it, but they could have gone cheap and easy. Right. And instead they got Steve Jason, who's, you know, a really good chef, uh, and let him go wild mm-hmm. and, and let him create things for JK Rowling to approve. And, you know, God, bless her for keeping universal honest because i'm i'm sure it's a business like any other i'm sure that there's some account and there's someone saying you know we could save a little money by using corn syrup here instead of real sugar right you don't really need fresh fish we can get the fish sticks frozen and to have someone like jk rowling says nope it's my property and you'll do it the way i want you to yep uh, thank god because the it, it not just it didn't just raise the bar on you know what you could do with that kind of food, but it inspired Universal to go and improve all the other food around it. Mm-hmm. Because to be honest, um, while Universal's always had some good table service restaurants, a lot of their fast food was you know either no better than Disney or in some places worse. Oh, yeah. Comic Strip Cafe served a fish and chips that should be outlawed by the Geneva Convention. Yes, um, but. <laughs> You know, now that guests have the Potter food to compare it to, you know, they're not settling right. for the junk yeah. anymore. And Universal has responded. You know, the fish and chips that were so awful in Comic Strip Cafe, that's still not a recommended restaurant. However, they're now using the same recipe that they use at Harry Potter. So at least, you you know, they've gotten rid of the terrible frozen fish yeah. there. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I love the same thing with the Simpsons, yeah. um, the Simpsons, uh, international food and film festival was possibly the worst food court in any theme park yeah. in town. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's probably the best. Uh-huh. Um, do I wish that we had freshly made waffles instead of frozen egos? Yes, but I'm still going to order that chicken and waffle sandwich and pour that maple mayo syrup over it every <laughs> single chance I get. Yes. Um, yes. But again, and, that, you know, the guys from Simpsons, they worked with them with Universal and they held them to a higher bar. And I think that's partly exactly. why. And, so. and as much as I respect the folks who do food over at Disney, I don't think that the animators who worked on Be- Beauty and the Beast were brought in to approve LeFou's brew. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone was brought in to approve LeFou's brew. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, they Disney does a fantastic job with character dining. Um, they create beautiful restaurants, beautiful experiences. I love Trader Sam's. Uh, I love um, Be Our Guest restaurant. But the bottom line is that the food is always secondary. They come up with a clever name, but it's pretty much the same food that you'll get somewhere else. Right. Um, they haven't, you know, I'm looking forward to this new Indiana Jones restaurant. Yes. They've got, yep. uh, there's some interesting items in the menu. Uh, I did not see monkey brains or eyeball soup. So I'm a little disappointed. Yeah. Seriously. Um, Come on. <laughs> you know, maybe that'll be a daily special. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I know Disney has the people who can do it. I know, I know that they can do it, but you know, it, People talk about how it's a bad thing that Universal doesn't own their own IP, that they've always got to go out and license something from from some other property owner. But in a way, it's a good thing mm-hmm. because, you know, that, that give and take, uh, you know, as an artist, anytime that you don't have to answer to anyone, you have a limited budget, you can just do whatever you want, it usually comes out terrible. Yep. It's when you have to negotiate with other people you have to you know stay within boundaries you have to find creative solutions that's when really great stuff happens mm-hmm. uh and i think that by having to deal with the, this the the folks who run the simpsons and by having to deal with jk rowling and even michael bay on the transformers ride um that they wind up creating stuff that maybe is even better than they would have done if they were just solely left to their own devices right um Right. Um, we were talking, might as well bring it up now. We were talking before. Why don't you share uh, the mythos news about the uh, the food change there that we were talking pre- <laughs> before recording. Yeah, it's a, so. so mythos is, is, it's a bit of a running joke because, you know, they've got this banner over the entrance about how they're voted the best theme park restaurant for seven, eight years in a row. But that, that was 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, mythos she ain't what she used to be. Um, it's still a good restaurant, but it's it's no longer the best theme park restaurant in the world. However, they just got a brand new chef. They just got a brand new menu recently. I have not been able to eat there yet myself, but I've heard really good things. Um, so maybe this will be uh, a return to the glory days of Mythos. I don't think anything will ever match though the original menu uh at the time i was working um for special events at universal and i got to go into the park many times before it opened to the public and um uh test the menu and then ate there a bunch the first year that it opened for lunch because it was you know a short walk from my office they used to serve a whole pound and a quarter lobster 
oh. stuffed with bacon and corn wow. and roasted. And it was with the employee discount hmm. under $20 Ooh, after nice. tax and tip. Wow. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever see the return of that. Yeah. But Oh my lord, that was a wonderful thing. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I will say, um, old school Mythos fans might remember the uh, lobster and corn bisque soup, which was two kinds of soup poured into one bowl, so that they sort of made a, a yin yang sign. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's been gone for years and years. They actually brought it back a few months ago at oh. Lombards over at USF. Okay. So if you like a, a, a good. Uh, Good fishy lobster bisque. Oh. Go check that out. Nice. I'll have to try that next time I'm down there. <laughs> so, so what do you think? Does that mean, you know, there was rumors there for a while that that area would be going away for Harry Potter expansion. Now with this executive chef coming in for this restaurant, does that mean the theming stays or? Hmm, um, you know? I, you know, there, there is no attraction or no area that has been had its death rumored more often than the remainder of the lost continent. Right. Uh, you know, the Poseidon's fury attraction has been on, on the death watch so many times Uh I can't even keep track. Sure. Um, the, the fact is that yes, you have, um, fantastic beasts and where to find them, which is a new series that's going to be coming out, uh, in a few years. And that might be a great place to put something themed to that. However, they just invested a bunch of money in the Sinbad show. Uh, it, right. If you go see the Sinbad show, it, it might not seem it's well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, out of respect for my friends who work on the show, oh. uh, I will simply say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. But they did spend a bunch of money. Uh, upgrading the pyro systems, the lighting systems, rebuilding the stage. Um, they, they've invested cash in the infrastructure, which is not necessarily something you would do if yeah. you're going to tear that it's, out yeah, in exactly. six months or a year. Exactly. Um, before we see more Harry Potter go in to Islands of Adventure, I think you will see uh, something Ministry of Magic happen where Fear Factor Live currently is oh, yeah. at the okay. studios. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I, I know I've had a conversation with Alan Gilmore. I know other people have where he said quite openly that that's what he would like to do next. And, uh, since he pretty much hit out of the park with the, the last two Harry Potters, Mm -hmm. I I would listen to the guy if I were them. Um, but, uh, you know, rather than take out the rest of the lost continent, because I think it is, it is nice having that kind of break from the Potter area in before you get to Seuss and it's nice having something that's an original IP in the park. What I would like to see, and this might sound a little controversial, but I would like to see them tear. I almost said dueling dragons tear dragon challenge out. Mm -hmm. And that leaves a huge plot of land agreed for that family friendly dark ride that I talked about. Um, maybe some walkthrough experiences. Um, you know, I don't think necessarily that Potter needs another thrill ride. I think it has two of the best thrill rides in the world. And I think now it needs, you know, more things like Diagon Alley and, or um, Nocturne Alley mm-hmm. and the wand experience and the train things that everyone can experience that you can take your time to go through. 
mm-hmm. um, that isn't necessarily being thrown around and having a height restriction. Sure. Um, and and I I think that um, Dragon Challenge has kind of outlived its usefulness. Uh, if you look at the wait times that it gets compared to all the other headliners in the park, I think most uh, most people agree. Uh, and especially now that it has the whole metal detector debacle, um, yeah. where you know you have to step outside of the magical world of Harry Potter and into the unmagical world of the TSA. Uh, I, I think, I think it's too many strikes against the ride that it's time for it to go. Sure. I think from a touring standpoint too, it kind of helps, you know, say the, who knows, say that, that the, um, the castle Hogwarts is, you know, the rides down in the morning or something, you have something to go to where you can, well, one, if it's air conditioned, that would be a plus, but you know, <laughs> something just to divert your, divert your walk for a little while and, you know, kind of keep people in the area without you having to leave. And, and in general, I think, don't think that area is that big anyway. So there's not like a, you know, a lot. It really, you know, and, and that's so. why Diagon Alley was such an improvement because you have Carpet right. Market, which is covered and you have entertainment happening there. Yep. You've got Nocturne Alley, which is air conditioned, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you have places that can soak up guests and where people can just sit and relax. Right. You know, it's it's on a hot day in over in Hogsmeade. You see people crammed into that little owl post area, you know, filling every available bench, just trying to find a little yeah. bit of shade. Yeah. Um, and if there was, you know, a Forbidden Forest walkthrough area with lots of shade and benches and, you know, you know, interactive things that you could explore, uh, you know, that that didn't involve uh, being crammed into a tiny little shop or queue. I think that would help immensely. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other things uh, that you think universal does well that you, we, you know, uh, well, you know, I, 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 I feel like this is uh, <laughs> turning into a, you know, bash Disney, bash praise Disney universal. Man. And I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, okay. I, I have, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy the attractions that Universal does. I, I think that the employees at Universal are underrated. Yeah. Um, I know there is, you know, a special Disney magic. Um, some days I love that Disney magic, and some days I find it really plastic and fake. Mm. Um, and I find that Universal employees are always polite and professional, uh, in my experience. Uh, I shouldn't say always. Uh, just as polite and professional statistically as Disney employees. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But with a little less of the, the, the disingenuous uh, cheerfulness, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. you know, uh, and I, since I'm just a cynical misanthrope, maybe that appeals <laughs> to me better. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, does universal does a, a lot of things great. And I, you don't have to think that universal is better than Disney, but I, I, what I think you should consider is if you've been coming to Disney every year, every couple of years for decades, uh, and you've never considered giving universal a try, you know, Disney won't stop taking your money. They won't decide that you cheated on them sure. and, and they're throwing you out of the house. Yeah. You know, they're not, Disney will not take you to divorce court. Um, give Universal a try, uh, and you might be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, that's why I said it's like the standard, and you even it's still in the book. Coke versus Pepsi. It's like Coke and Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Generally, someone has a preference and they stick to it and they never go back. But in this this preference, there you it doesn't matter. You prefer one or the other, go to the other one and come back, or you know, 
back and forth or enjoy the entire trip. So. And I really believe that's what's happening now that uh, with the larger crowd sizes at uh, Disney, I think that those are being driven by extra people coming into the area to go to Harry see Potter. the Potter Park. Yeah. Let's face well, it. you know that this, the saying is uh, the rising tide lifts all boats. Yep. And, yep. Um, you know, it might not be true for SeaWorld. I think SeaWorld is kind of getting swamped as everyone else is uh, rising. But, um, it, you know, the, what's good for Universal is good for Disney and vice versa. So, like I was saying before, if you're a Disney fan, support Universal because it will only make Disney yeah. better and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, interesting stuff. It's uh, it's it's fun to talk about, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, oh, let me ask you something quickly. Ahead. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The Harry Potter celebration is coming up. Sure. Would you recommend people, even if they're so-so Harry Potter fans, would you recommend them going to it if they're on the fence? Uh, if you are a so-so Harry Potter fan, then. Probably not. This is this is inside baseball. You know, this is talking to the people who, you know, you're not going to meet Harry Potter. You're not going to meet Daniel Radcliffe. You're talking to people who played, you know, for the most part, secondary characters. Um, There's still really funny, fascinating people with great stories to tell. But, you know, if if you're not the kind of person who would go to a Comic Con you know, or, or a science fiction convention, um, you know, it, it, that's kind of what this, this thing is. So if you are interested in, you know, talking to the designers, hearing what the, they have to say, you know, waiting in line for autographs, if that's your thing, then you have to go, you have to do it. It's, it's fantastic. But if that's not your thing, um, I wouldn't necessarily say avoid Universal that weekend because most of the Harry Potter people are doing the Harry Potter things. Mm-hmm. So if you're not into that, it won't greatly affect your wait times on the r- other rides. Um, but uh, if nothing else, the hotels will be filled up. Um, it's you know that they're smart to put it at the end of January. It's nor- what would normally be a slower time of year, and it's a great way to boost attendance. Uh, it's the same thing that Disney did with star wars weekends Mm -hmm. you know star wars weekend started out years ago as a really small thing uh in the spring when it was otherwise kind of uh in between the peak seasons and they've grown star wars weekends to be so huge to that you know if you're not into star wars you stay the heck away from hollywood studios on those weekends um and harry potter is not to that scale yet uh but i think that they would like to make it that scale um for now it's still a lot more intimate than Star Wars weekends. But um, right. uh, I would say, you know, if you're not a hardcore person, you're probably not going to want to spend the money for the special packages. Right. right. But if Harry Potter is your thing, I've been to the after hours parties that they have where they only allow the package holders in and there's, you know, free drinks and no waits for the rides. And it's a really moving experience not just that oh i don't have to wait to ride gringotts but i am in this place with a small number of people who love this thing as much as i do yeah um so you know if if you are emotionally invested in harry potter there's no better way to spend your money than one of those uh private parties yes it's pricey but it's it's truly uh such a magical experience i know that's a cliche but (laughs) yeah but I've been to a few of them and it, it 
It really is. I'm actually getting a little teary thinking about one of the first ones I ever went to. Hmm. Um, because it, you know, it just, the feeling of goodwill of you are just surrounded by people who are so into Harry Potter and are just there to bask in it, not even to ride the rides or to do anything just to walk around and experience the atmosphere. Sure. Um, However, uh, like I said, if you are not that kind of Uber fan, uh, you do not need to spend that kind of money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, we've kind of been all over the map, but just uh, I guess I want to kind of talk a, a little bit, you know, before we end the show, I do want to hit some future stuff. We've talked some sure. about the future stuff. You know, that's you want to very... talk rumors? Yeah, um, let's talk rumors. Yeah, let's, let's just hit should, should rumors. We, so. Should we have our standard disclaimer that anything we yeah. talk is purely conjecture? I, I... You know, I get lots of information from lots of different people. Some of it lines up. Some of it is, you know, wrong. Some of some of it never comes true, um, but it's fun to talk about. That's so, uh, exactly. you know, your mileage may vary. Discontinue if uh, you form a rash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So, well, I got to ask Jurassic Jurassic World. Yeah. Is there anything with that in the future that you think or heard or. So I know the people who worked on the movie are really big on getting some sort of attraction into the park or parks. Um, You know, I know they've tossed around that um, the sphere, the gyrosphere. Right. um, Finding some way to adapt that to an attraction. Um, I think that the people who run the parks, they kind of had their game plan for the next, you know, four or five years mapped out before they really knew that Jurassic World would hit as big as it did. Yeah. Um, You know, if if someone had told them that, uh, you know, Jurassic World was going to be the biggest movie in the world would they have necessarily built skull island where it is right uh you know maybe not but you know at at a certain point the dirt's been moved uh we got we we got to move along so that's why you see more modest stuff you see the uh the raptor encounter which i think is maybe my favorite meet and greet ever um it's it's got so much charm it's got so much personality it's not just standing and posing for a photograph. It, it really feels like you're having a moment with this creature. Huh, cool. um, and, you know, you've got some cheaper things like signage on the restaurant and the gift shop. Um, so tell me, Seth, do you think that they could remove the Jurassic uh, playground where the Tarendon Flyers runs over top of it and put something in there? So I could they? Yeah. Possibly. The problem is you're butting right up against the back of uh, bilge rat barges. Uh, Most people don't realize that the Popeye raft ride runs within a foot of the back of the playground area. Mm. Uh, There's there's hardly anything separating them. So could you take that playground out? Maybe. I think that playground fills a very important demographic need in the park. Definitely. Um, I think that. I could definitely see after the, uh, you know, they're building a new BNM flyer roller coaster at Jurassic Park in Japan. And this is, um, I think, a new style of roller coaster for BNM. Um, and so uh, Universal hasn't had BNM build anything new for them in quite a while. You know, they, they went with Marisone for the um, Rip Ride Rocket, and uh, I believe it was Intamin for Gringotts. 
So if Universal is getting back in bed with B&M, which is what it looks like, because they're also doing the overhaul on Hulk that's coming up, oh. uh, which we should probably talk about. Yeah. yeah um, if, if Universal is in good with B&M again, and they can have B&M come over and redo Toronto on Flyers as their new style of, of family uh, inverted coaster, and uh, and make that successful, that would be wonderful. But I don't want the playground itself to go away. I think a better option is moving right next door to the old Triceratops encounter plot. There's actually a good chunk of land uh, still there sitting unused. Um, part of it is used for uh, express passes when Harry Potter is at capacity. And a very tiny portion is being used for the new Raptor meet and greet. Mm. But there is still space in there. At one point, there was a plan for a compact wooden roller coaster. Uh, that plan is long dead from everything I've heard. But you know that space could be used for something. The, the Discovery Center is also a very underused space. Mm-hmm. I love the hatching inside. Yeah, um, I love that there's just a cool, quiet space that hardly has anyone in there. But it's uh, in terms of real estate, it's it's underdeveloped. Right. Um, so I think I think that uh, something Jurassic World coming to the park maybe around the time that the next movie comes out. I think that's twenty eighteen. We're talking twenty eighteen. Yeah. Maybe you could see that happening. But Universal has so much stuff on their plate elsewhere in the parks uh, before. I think that's going to happen. Yeah. That's, that's what's my, that's what, uh, okay. my gut is telling me. Okay. Um, so you mentioned Hulk. Let's talk, let's talk Hulk, maybe even Marvel. Yeah. So, that, so that whole deal. Hulk is going down, uh, on September 8th, I believe. And will be down for the better part of a year. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it to come back up. I'm sure they really want to get back up for spring break of next year. Um, or at the very least, uh, the start of the summer season. Um, so I cannot tell you exactly what is going to happen to Hulk. I can tell you what is likely are, uh, new or greatly refurbished trains that will have, um, a different and hopefully more modern and comfortable style of restraint. Yeah. And also, uh, in car audio. Oh, yeah. I, don't think you're going to see a radical change to the layout of the track. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, I know that there was some talk with all the issues they've had with metal detectors and, you know, having scan people, of maybe they could take out the part of the track that goes over the walkways. Sure. It's such an, that's that launch yeah. is such an iconic part of the ride. I don't see how you change that without, Right. Taking out the soul of the ride. Right. At the same time, the back half of the ride is quite boring in comparison. Yeah. But and yeah. and uh, while I would love to see them change the layout in the back, I don't know that that's in the cards. Um, I think this is probably more about um, you know it's a track that's that's going to be twenty years old and uh, needs major refurbishment to be as smooth as it once was. Anyone who's ridden the Hulk in the last six months to a year knows that it is not the smooth coaster mm-hmm. that it was when it first opened. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole launch mechanism, uh, you know, I've heard strong rumors that you're going to see BNM did design the roller coaster itself, but did not design the launch. 
um, because the BNM was not doing launches at the time. BNM is now ha- has now developed their own launch system. Ah. So I I think that there's at least an even chance of BNM coming in and, and retrofitting their own launch system okay. uh, into there. Okay. Um, and if, if they don't do that, then at the very least, um, upgrading and and maintaining those those tires. You know, this is not this is not just a paint job. You don't take a roller coaster. A, a oh, yeah. major ride like this down for almost a year for just a paint job. Right, right. Um the part of it that I'm the most excited about is uh as as Universal very clearly confirmed in their press release, it will still be the Incredible Hulk. Right. This is not Marvel leaving Universal. This is the complete opposite of Marvel leaving Universal. This is this is Universal doubling down on Marvel being there for a long time. It will still be the Incredible Hulk. It will just be a different version of the incredible hulk um everything that i've been told leads me to believe that it is going to be the marvel cinematic universe version of the hulk Uh, or at least one that looks close enough to it that that's what guests will associate with it yeah i do not have any information on whether mark ruffalo is in going to be involved in any way um I, i imagine that would involve some interesting contract negotiations yeah but luckily the hulk can be done in cgi you know and you could i'm sure hire uh lou ferrigno to come in and do the voice sure and uh you know um so those very dated uh cartoons that you saw in the queue um those are all going to be gone um you know you're it's going to have a new more updated styling uh more um more immersive theming, basically bringing the queue of the Hulk and eventually the whole Marvel Island, uh, from what I've been told, up to the kind of immersive, detailed standards that you see in Harry Potter. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think, you know, the Marvel Superhero Island's aesthetic choice, the design of, of the island, has been criticized by a lot of people as being very flat, looks like cardboard cutouts. Um, I don't think it's entirely fair. They were very deliberately making a choice to go for a 2D kind of pop art look. Yeah, I get that. And I I think it it wasn't a bad choice for the time. But I think that today, you know, it's it's very postmodern in the sense that it's saying, you know, this is comics. You are in a comic. Right. Everything is in quotes, you know. Um, Whereas guests today, they don't want you know, to constantly have it poked at them. You are in a theme park version of comic. You, right. They just want to be completely immersed in the world. Right. You know, um, the question is, how do you necessarily do that with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and still have it be um, extravagant or spectacular enough to work in a theme park? Because the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, outside of a few locations like Stark Tower, pretty much takes place in the real ish world right you know it's not brightly colored uh it's not um it 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 doesn't uh it's not cartoonish um and it's not a fantasy in the same way the current marvel superhero island is so i'm really excited to see how they tackle that um i know you know there was concept art for a marvel uh park in the middle east um, this is going back a couple of years and there were some interesting ideas of how to execute, you know, a realistic Manhattan, uh, that's got 
a Marvel superhero flair. Um, so it, it'd be interesting to see what kind of direction they go with that. Uh, and the last, the last key to this puzzle, um, you know, Hulk major changes, Spider-Man, I expect to say pretty much the same, um, possibly, uh, you know, Q updates, but they just, uh, updated the ride itself and, and right. it's, it's the best ride in, in the world, arguably. So yeah. why mess with it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Doctor Doom's, you know, that's that's the big puzzle. There's oh, so yeah. many, so many rumors that I I will not, I will not, uh, you know, uh, stake my reputation on any one of them. Sure. Um, but something major is going to happen to that location. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, you know, Doctor Doom is arguably the weakest headlining ride yeah. that uh, the park has, and. There are much better concepts that could be adapted to that same kind of system. Uh, I encourage your uh, readers to Google Pandora's Box, uh, which is a uh, really interesting cross between a drop tower and a dark ride. Uh, A a little bit like what uh, Alton Towers did with their Nemesis drop tower. Okay. Uh, But, um, you know, a lot more potential. Yeah. Yeah. you know, imagine imagine something. If you had something along the lines of the Tower of Terror, but that at each floor you could have a different experience, whether an animatronic experience or a three D projected experience. Huh. Yeah. Um, you know that you could move from scene to scene like you do in a dark ride, but you're moving vertically, and then add in the the dynamic forces of of dropping and launching. Sure. Um, I am not in any way saying that is what they are doing. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I'm saying that there's some really interesting concepts out there that could be adapted to characters like the Avengers or yeah. Iron Man uh, that that would really be great to see. Yeah. Um, and it, at the same time, that there's there's one more uh, potential location. The Toon Lagoon Amphitheater has sat empty for years and years, mm. and it's it's just adjacent to the back of the Spider-Man Show building, and that's another really great untapped resource that the park has that whole stretch uh, connecting marvel superhero island to the center of toon lagoon is is possibly the biggest eyesore in the park and uh if i was running things and wanted to invest money in in cleaning up an area that's that's one of the first places i'd look yeah well and i don't i don't know what the music's like now today i've been i was there so uh, about four years ago, uh, you know, they still had the uh, '80s rock music there in the in the Marvel area too. So I, you know, music obviously the MCU is all about the you know the soundtrack, movie, film, film score type of type of stuff that you could probably hear along with the change of the aesthetics of the 2D versus the who knows maybe it's more like mm-hmm. a New York Street type of type of atmosphere they could create, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I was thinking of that as you were describing the uh, visual, visual things that could change along with these things. So yeah, you, it's interesting. One one of the really great gems of the original Islands of Adventure is the soundtracks that were composed specifically for each island, and then the way that um, music coming out of different speakers as you walk around overlaps and fades from one to another. And uh, you know, there's some some great little kind of cheesy '90s guitar rock yeah, happening yeah, yeah. in the uh, awesome. in the Marvel yeah. area. Um, <laughs> that you know, if, if it does go away and gets replaced by more cinematic music, uh, I, part of me will will mourn a little for that yeah. '80s cheese. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that it, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a slightly dated version of the, and the great thing about Marvel comics, go back, look at Marvel comics from the 1960s and then look at them at the, in the, in the seventies and eighties and then the nineties and then look at them today. Yeah. You can tell who the characters are. The stories, you know, have, you know, are basically the same kind of Greek myths told over and over again. Yeah. But watching how the artwork has changed and how the the visualizations of the characters have evolved over half a century is amazing. And the uh, the theme park has kind of been frozen in amber in one specific vision um, that isn't the one that you know that people are most familiar with today. So yeah, most I, definitely. I, I I think that that's you know um, I. I would like to definitively put a stake through the heart of any rumors that Marvel might leave universal and go to Walt Disney world anytime in this next decade or two or three, (laughs) it ain't happening. Huh? Um, that's a very interesting twist on things though, to think about it. Cause it's, you know, we've obviously we've said universal does better and Disney and this and that. And it's like, Wait a second. Let's go to Universal to visit a Disney property. It's just well, it's hilarious to think. The the dirty secret is I, I I've been told by more than one sources that the people you know the people who work for Marvel, you know they they are owned by Disney now, but they don't necessarily consider themselves Disney. They're sure. still Marvel. Sure. And they love their working relationship with Universal. Uh-huh. In some ways, more than they like their relationship with the people who own them. Uh, yeah. um, you know, they're they're really happy with uh, the Spider-Man ride, and you know, while yes, the area could use some updating. You know, it for for many years, the dark years of Marvel. Um, yeah, that it that was like the best representation anywhere of what yeah of what Marvel was. Yeah, so I I. I, yeah, it is ironic that, you know, I want to come and see, you know, the Avengers. Well, you're going to have to go to Universal, but aren't they owned by Disney, Mommy? You even go down to downtown Disney, there is a superhero store. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> totally yeah. Marvel, yeah. but they're not allowed to use the word Marvel anywhere on the outside. You, know, oh, you have to walk inside to, to find out that it's Marvel. Interesting. I never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Universal is holding on to Marvel, uh, and they are not giving it up uh, without big truckloads of cash being dumped on their lawn. And that Disney does not do that. Oh yeah, so, yeah, not unless it's bu- buying no, an entire. They will. Yeah. I was going to say Disney will trade Oswald the Lucky Rabbit for Al Michaels, but they will not trade Marvel for two billion dollars. Yeah, really uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, do you let me ask Doug because he kind of came up with some of the rumor stuff. Do you want to hear anything more before we close out the show in terms of rumors? And what's what about uh, Nintendo? Have you heard anything on that? Um, The Nintendo word that I've heard is has been consistent, which is that um, the first place that's going to get Nintendo will be the current kid zone. Um, Now, just like. Poseidon's Fury has been on Death Watch. The the Kid Zone has been on Death Watch for at least two years now. Now, I, I in fact, I remember writing in the unofficial guide for 2015, saying that uh, you know Barney might be closed by the time this book comes out, and Barney is still open still right open. now. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I'm, I don't think that Barney is going to see new years, um, or curious George. Um, if, if those are still open come new years, I think you're going to see, you know, between the end of the fiscal year and, uh, the beginning of the new calendar year, you're going to see a lot of stuff closed down, uh, across the studios, uh, kid zone disaster is very probable. Mm-hmm. Twister is pretty much a hundred percent because they've already filed comment notice of commencement permits for uh, demolition. Um, so, uh, you know, while everyone's focus is on King Kong over on Isles of Adventure, yep. On the other side, they're going to be knocking stuff down. That's what they do. One side, yeah. go to the other. You know. And- so um, Nintendo is first up, and Super Mario is obviously their number one property. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's. That's what we're going to see first. That's that's my bet. And like you were talking with the kids stuff, I mean, my kids would love that kid zone, but if it was a Mario instead or replaced with Mario or Mario went in and that went away, I think that would be perfect for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, there. I remember years ago there, there was a survey done and that Mario was more recognizable around the world than even Mickey Mouse. Oh, yeah. You know, and he's... he's sure. You can't underestimate the power. I mean... Nintendo is essentially a hardware company. You know, they make uh, consoles, they make Game Boys, but their hardware is essentially kept afloat by Mario and a couple of other IPs like right. Pokemon. Right. Uh, I mean, that's that's really rare that you can. You know, it's it's it would almost be like as if Disney manufactured television sets, and you could only watch Disney movies under television yeah, sets, yeah. and they made a phenomenal profit doing that. You know, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, um, it's crazy to think about. Yeah. So, okay. Um, any you good? With no, that? yeah, I'm good. You're, you're yeah, good. I, I, you're I, good. I, we're good. We good? Sure. I know. We. I totally blew your uh your time. Your people are going to be. <laughs> No. Listen to this podcast at four speed just to try to get through it. Actually, no. I think most of our listeners will love this stuff. They've, yeah, they've yeah. listened to me drone on about this stuff for for hours <laughs> on end. So. Yeah. Oh, then it's good to have someone else drone on about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're not droning. That's the thing. But I tend to do that. So yeah. uh, before before we let you go and we close out the show, sure. let's let's finish off with uh, just kind of telling everybody. First off, we haven't revealed the uh, the magical code to get the discount for touring plans. Ooh, yes. But let's All talk right. a little bit about touring plans and uh, what options are available and and kind of give them websites and stuff. So okay. So first of all, the book is called The Unofficial Guide to Universal Orlando. It is available on Amazon, on Kindle. Uh, it is also on Barnes & Noble and Nook. Um, it, I'm sure in our show notes there will be a link that will yep. uh, tell you where you can buy a copy of it. Yep. Um, in addition to the book, touringplans.com is a website. Um, all you know, a lot of the information that's in the book, we have uh, digital versions on the website and a whole lot of more stuff, including the ability to create personalized touring plans. You tell us what attractions you want to see during the day. We tell you what order to go into them to wait the shortest amount of time. Uh, it sounds like magic, but it actually works. Um, and if you want a subscription to touring plans, uh, we are offering a discount code. Uh, the touring plan subscription is also is already ridiculously cheap. Uh, if you just want a subscription to our Universal Orlando information, it's only five dollars and ninety five cents for a full year, <laughs> which is nuts. Like yeah, that's nuts. 
Does, I don't. Can you buy a churro for that? I don't. I don't think that's, so. That's no. that's that's like you know souvenir popcorn. Not even. Yeah. Really. Um, and it, there's even a 45 day money back guarantee. So if you get it and you use it and you decide it stinks, we'll give you your money back, no problem. Um, and you can also add on subscriptions for Walt Disney World, Disneyland. We have the Disney Cruise Line. We cover two now. But you know, as ridiculously cheap that is, we'll save you even more money if you use the discount code Seth's Baby Fifteen. That is S E T H S B A B Y one five. Put in that discount code, you'll save 20% more. Um, so you can't beat that. Yes, <laughs> definitely can. And and for the price that it is, it will, oh my word, it saves you so much time. So Yeah, and it's, um, you know, we've got both the website and it's an app. Uh, the app is called Lines. And if you just go into your uh, your Android app store or the uh, the iTunes app store and search for Lines, uh, universal we have a app just for universal we give you all the wait times both the wait time that universal says it is and the wait time it really is because mm-hmm. we have ways of finding that information um and all the show times even show times for things like celestina warbeck and uh and the tales of beetle the bard that universal doesn't publish we have that information in our app um so yeah it's it's a bargain Go by by two now. Yeah, yeah. And there's a uh, crowd calendars also to help you when you plan if you're thinking of going during. Absolutely, yeah. If you want to know which day is going to be busier than the other, mm-hmm. um, we can help you figure out when to go to the parks and which park will be busier on which days. Certainly helpful if you're forward thinking. I can and flexible in your schedule and not necessarily going during the hot summer and busy summer, but mm-hmm. having other options there. So. Okay, uh, tell a, a Twitter handle. How can anybody contact you if they want to follow yeah, you or so whatever? Yeah, so if you want to follow me uh, on Twitter, it's at skuberski, S-K-U-B-E-R-S-K-Y. And I am right now just 50 people short of hitting 4,000, and huh. it's my birthday next week. Huh. So if I, could, <laughs> if, I could, if I could get a nice round number of followers by my birthday, there I would feel like such a, a special person. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. We'll see if we yeah. can make that happen. So Awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's always been a dream of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Well, so, it's been really great talking to you guys. You guys got to have me back on sometime, and we'll, we'll talk more Universal. We can also talk, uh, you know, I, I write the, uh, the Disneyland book, and I cover Universal Hollywood out there. I'll be heading out uh, when Harry Potter opens out there. So, yep. so we've got. I'll have to be. We have a back in California who's always on with us, but we have to get him on, and we'll have you back on, and then we can hash everything out on the West Coast. I think there's Excellent. a whole West. Yeah, there's a whole West Coast thing that we could have done, and I was trying to head that direction, but we, of course, Universal Orlando has enough to cover. But um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. we'd be here for another three hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, briefly, do you think there's a Universal uh, Hollywood? unofficial guide coming out just on its own here in the next couple of years? I, not on its own. You know, okay. we did the universal Orlando book because universal had two theme parks, five hotels. It was roughly the size that Walt Disney world was when we first started doing okay. the, uh, the Disney world book back in the mid eighties. Sure. Um, you know, you know, if universal Hollywood, first of all, they've got to build some on-site hotels 
then they've got to greatly expand their theme park. Sure. Um, even then, uh, you know, Disneyland, our Disneyland book is about uh, the same size as our Universal Orlando book, and wow. it covers both Disneyland hotels and uh, Universal Hollywood in pretty good depth in there. Sure. And I think that until uh, either Disneyland expands greatly or Universal expands greatly out there, then it's it's going to stay together in one book. However, I have been kind of pushing uh, for us to start covering Knott's Berry Farm. Yeah. Um, and so maybe someday, if I can, uh, if I can convince us to to add in Knott's Berry Farm, that together with Universal, maybe we add in uh, Sea World or. Uh, Queen Mary or some other attractions out there. Sure. Maybe we could get a, uh, you know, a whole, uh, guide to California outside of Disneyland. Sure. Most definitely. Okay. Well, yeah, I think most definitely we are, we are for sure interested to have you back, especially as, as certain things come out, you know, certain times of the year, it's, you know, good to talk about the future and, and always as people travel, you know, hitting into the summer season, it's always a good time to kind of catch them in the spring to say, Hey, you know, if you haven't listened, by the way, catch this. And plus, you could give us some insight since you're right there, um, if you wouldn't mind. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know my number. I'm happy to talk anytime. Excellent. Excellent. Great. So, yeah, everyone, thanks for joining us on the show this week. Uh, stay tuned to our website, universalsdoor.com. We will post show notes. We will post links. Whatever, Doug, you, you just tell them, you know, whatever we're going to post about it. Uh, we'll, we'll post Seth's Twitter handle or whatever. Uh, we will tweet out stuff. And, uh, yeah, you can get in contact with us. We'll pass you on to Seth if you have questions directly for him. Otherwise, you can find him on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, thanks again, everybody, for joining us this week. And uh, we'll hope you have a good one. Stay tuned for future shows as we cover, I'm sure, you know, we're recording this on the hilt of the D23 Expo. So, I'm sure we will talk D23 next week, but at least uh, until then, here's some Universal to get you through. So thanks, everybody. Thanks, Seth. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon.